Hi and welcome back to Equity Tutors. Today we're going to be continuing on learning about the immune system. In today's lesson we're going to be covering exactly what makes up the immune system and antigens and antibodies. So let's get straight in with today's lesson and start by talking about antigens and antibodies. Let's start off by talking about antibodies. Antibodies are a type of globular glycoprotein that have a complex quaternary structure. I would definitely recommend going to look at the associated images with this lesson because it will make much more sense if you can actually see what I'm talking about. So antibodies have a Y-shaped structure. So they have two heavy chains and they have two light chains and the light and the heavy chains are joined by disulfide bonds. When we talk about the structure of antibodies, the important thing to remember is that in mammals there are five classes of antibodies. There are IgG, IgA, IgM, IgE and IgD. And the most common one is IgG and that's the one that you will normally see in pictures. The reason I'm talking about classes of antibodies is because the structure of the antibody changes depending on the class that it is. So as I said before, the basic structure of an antibody has these two heavy chains and these two light chains. And another way we can split up the antibody is to say that there is a constant region and a variable region. So the variable region is the top part of the antibody and the constant region is the bottom part of the antibody. Within a class of antibodies, the constant regions do not vary. So they're all the same, whatever antibody it is, as long as they're in the same class. However, the variable region of the antibody, so the very top part of the Y shape, is different for every antibody. And this is what actually determines what that antibody can actually bind to. So we call things that antibody bind to antigens. And when the antibody and the antigen bind together, we call that an antigen-antibody complex. And the very end of the variable region is the antigen binding site. So each binding site is normally made up of around 110 to 130 amino acids. And this antigen binding site includes both the heavy and the light chain. So the end of both of those heavy and light chains. So it's not just the heavy or just the light. So to go over that again, the antibody is made up of two heavy chains and two light chains. And we can say that the top part of the antibody is the variable region, which contains the antigen binding site. And this is made up of both the heavy and the light chain. And then the bottom part is the constant region, which remains the same throughout any antibody in the same class. Antibodies are very specific and, and bind to a very specific part of an antigen. So you can get different antibodies that will bind to the same thing, but they will bind to different parts of it. So later in the lesson, I'm going to touch more on exactly what antibodies are used for and how they are important in the immune system. But I'm just going to continue talking about structure a little bit more now. So the hinge region is where the disulfide bonds are, which join the heavy chains together. And this gives the antibody flexibility so that the antigen binding sites can be 
angled specifically to bind to the antigen. Next thing we're going to talk about is the function of antibodies. So antibodies are really important in the immune response and they are produced by B lymphocytes. I'm going to go into more on this later in the lesson. But antibodies bind very specifically to antigens. An antigen is a molecule that can induce an immune response. So these can be things like toxins, they can be molecules expressed on the surface of cells or on bacteria or things expressed by viruses. Basically anything that looks foreign to our immune system. So what the antibodies do is they can help fight infections in several different ways. So they can combine with different viruses and toxins to block them from entering or damaging cells. They can also do something called agglutination. So during agglutination, antibodies bind together with the antigen-expressing pathogen and they form big complexes that are clumpy and this can stop them spreading through the body and also makes it easier for phagocytes to engulf them. I'm going to go on to exactly what a phagocyte is later in the lesson, so a lot of this will all make sense and all come together when we get to the end of the lesson. The immune system is very complex and has a lot of different parts, and you kind of need to know about all of them before it all makes sense. So don't worry if this is sounding a bit confusing at this point. Antibodies can also bind to toxins and neutralise them, and they can also bind to bacteria to make them identifiable to phagocytes again, which we call this process opsonization. And they can also bind to things like the flagella on bacteria to stop them working so well. And they can also make holes in the walls of pathogens, um, which can cause the, the pathogen to burst, especially bacteria. As I said before, antibodies are really important in the immune system, but we also use them a lot in research. The first thing I'm going to talk about is how we can make lots of the same antibodies. So as I said before, antibodies are very specific. So sometimes in research, we will want lots of uh, antibody that is exactly the same. So we call these monoclonal antibodies because they're all exactly the same. And we make these by using a single B-cell clone. A clone is something that makes only one type of antibody. So we take the B-cell that produces the antibody that we want and we can use something called the hybridoma method to make lots of the monoclonal antibodies. As I'm going to talk about later in the lesson, Antibodies are made by plasma cells, and plasma cells, unfortunately, do not divide. So there was a problem with trying to get antibodies because the cells that produced the antibodies would not divide in culture. So in the 1970s, this hybridoma method was developed. And what this is, is you inject mice with an antigen, and this will stimulate the production of plasma cells that produce an antibody that targets this antigen. You then isolate the plasma cells from the mice and then to get the cells to continue to grow and divide in culture, they are fused with an immortalized tumor cell. So this then is called a hybridoma cell. So the plasma cell and the tumor cell 
are fused together so the tumor cell allows the cell to keep dividing and the plasma cell allows the cell to produce antibodies and then you grow up these cells and they are then screened to find the ones that produce the right antibody and then you can culture these cells to produce large amounts of antibodies because these cells will just continually pump out antibodies. I'm now just going to go into a few more specific examples on how antibodies actually can be used. As I said before, antibodies can be used for diagnostic purposes. So I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of these. So one thing is in pregnancy tests. They can also be used for detecting bacteria like streptococcus. They can be used for blood typing before transfusions. They can also be used for detecting cancer cells in certain circumstances and also looking at diagnosing HIV. So how these are used in these diagnostic settings is that the antibody will bind to the antigen and then this will bind to something else which will then give off a signal that we can read. Antibodies can also be used to treat infections and in this way they are given directly to a patient and they work similarly to how they would in the normal immune system but in this way we can give a specific antibody that can target antigens on that specific pathogen. They can also be used to treat different cancers so they can bind to things expressed on the cancer cells and then these cells can then be recognised by the immune system and destroyed. One final thing to note about antibodies is that monoclonal antibodies have been really important in treatment of diseases, but one problem is that they were often produced by mice or other laboratory animals, but because they are produced in a different animal, these antibodies can often trigger an immune response themselves in a human. So to overcome this, sometimes these antibodies can be genetically modified so that the polypeptide chain is more similar to how a human um, antibody would look. And you can also alter the sugar groups on the antibodies to again make them look more like human antibodies. Great, so now that we've gone over antibodies, the next thing I'm going to talk about are different types of immune cells. Immune cells are in the blood and they are often referred to as white blood cells. And there are two main classes of immune cells that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about phagocytes and lymphocytes. We'll start with phagocytes and there are two specific examples of phagocytes that you need to know. Those are neutrophils and macrophages. So I'm going to talk in more detail about both of those in a minute, but I'm first going to give a bit of an overview of a phagocyte. A phagocyte is produced in the bone marrow, so inside your bones, and they're continually produced throughout your life. And they're stored in the bone marrow before they are released and then they move around in the blood. They are basically the bin men of the immune system. So they go around and clear up any mess that is made. So they remove dead cells and other pathogens that they find. And they do this by engulfing and eating anything that they find that shouldn't be there. So this is, process is called phagocytosis. And that's why these cells are called phagocytes. 
This is part of the non-specific immune response. I'm going to go into more on exactly what that means later in the lesson. So first of all, let's have a look at neutrophils. Neutrophils often, although they do travel around in the blood, they will often go out of the blood through capillary walls to look at specific body tissues. And during an infection, there'll be large numbers of these cells produced. However, they do only live a short amount of time. So during this process of them dying, they will accumulate. And this is actually normally what we see when we see pus. So when there's like an infection, that pus you see is actually where the neutrophils have gone into the infected area, tried to control the infection, and then they have died and they have formed that pus. I'm going to go into exactly how these cells work and how they can control infections. So as I said, neutrophils go out of the circulation into a tissue and this is done by something called chemotaxis and this is where there are chemicals released either by the pathogens and also by body cells that are under attack and this attracts the neutrophils to the site. So it basically helps the neutrophils know where to go and like I said, this is called chemotaxis and they will move towards the infected cells or the pathogens and often these pathogens will be covered in antibodies that have been released by the immune system already and we're going to go into that more later in the lesson. The neutrophils have a receptor on their surface which allows them to bind to the antibody molecules and then once they've done this they can start the process of phagocytosis. So once the neutrophil is attached to the pathogen the the membrane on the surface of the neutrophil will start projecting out and will go around the pathogen and trap it within a vacuole within the neutrophil and this is called endocytosis so this is bringing something in and once the pathogen is within inside this vacuole the neutrophil then releases enzymes that will digest and break up the pathogen, resulting in the pathogen being destroyed. Once the pathogen has been destroyed, so once the neutrophil has killed the pathogen, the neutrophil itself will then go on and die, and as I said before, this can form pus. So similarly, macrophages are also a different type of phagocyte, and they are bigger and they live a lot longer than neutrophils. Rather than staying in the blood, these cells actually move into your organs, such as the kidneys, the lungs, and then they're also in the lymph nodes. When they're traveling around the blood, they are actually known as monocytes. Once they leave the blood, they can then change and grow into a macrophage. So when they're in the blood, they're a monocyte. And then once they're in the organ that they're going to work in, they are then transformed into a macrophage. They work quite similarly to neutrophils, but they don't actually fully destroy the pathogen. What they do is they cut up bits of the pathogen so that they can then put those bits of its of the pathogen with its antigen on their surface. And they do this through through something called the major histocompatibility complex or MHC. So what they do is they take in the the pathogen, they cut it up and they put these little bits on their surface. So at this point, the macrophage is then called an antigen presenting cell because it's now presenting antigen to other cells. So at this point, 
then other cells, so lymphocytes, which I'm going to go on to in a minute, can come over and they can see these antigens that are displayed by the macrophages and this helps with the immune response going forward. They also carry out phagocytosis, but an important role of the macrophage is presentation of these antigens to lymphocytes within the body. So now that I've talked a bit about what neutrophils and macrophages are, which are both types of phagocytes, I'm now going to talk about lymphocytes. And lymphocytes are much smaller than phagocytes and they have a large nucleus and they are produced in the bone marrow. But there are two types of lymphocytes we're going to talk about today, B lymphocytes and T lymphocytes. The way in which these two cell types function is actually very different. Okay, so let's start with B cells. So like I said, B cells are produced in the bone marrow before birth, but then different to T cells, B cells do remain in the bone marrow until they are mature. So once they're mature, they then spread throughout the body in the blood, but they concentrate in things like the lymph nodes and the spleen. The main function of B cells is to produce antibodies. So we've spoken earlier about what antibodies are and how they are used in the immune system. So when a B cell matures, each B lymphocyte can only make one type of antibody molecule. So each of these antibodies are expressed on the surface of the B cells. As the B cells mature in the bone marrow, they start expressing these antibodies on their surface and each B cell has a specific antibody that it expresses. Once the B cells start expressing antibody on their surface, they then are released from the bone marrow and they start circulating around the body and end up in the lymph nodes, the liver and the spleen. So that is what the B cell is doing normally, but once there is an infection, they start to perform their function and a series of steps happens to them then. So once a pathogen enters the body, it will present antigens, as we spoke about earlier, and there will be a few B cells that exist in the body that recognise this antigen. We have millions of different B cells with different antibodies on their surface, and once an antigen has come in, one of the B cells will find that antigen. And at this point, when the correct B cell is found, the antigen that binds to the antibody on the cell surface will cause the B cell to divide by mitosis. And this is called clonal selection. So during your normal, everyday, healthy life, you have lots of different low levels of B cells. So you've got wide variety of B cells that target different antigens, but there's not that many of any of them. Once the antigen has been encountered, the ones that are specific for that antigen, so the ones that have the antibody specific for that antigen, will start expanding. And then at that point, you will have lots of that B cell in your blood. And you will still have low levels of all the other ones. So this is what we call clonal selection, because it's a clone, so it's one one type of B cell that there will be lots of. And as these cells divide, by mitosis, we call this clonal expansion. And basically by the end, you get lots and lots of identical B cells in the body that are all producing antibodies on their surface against the specific antigen that they've encountered. So at this point, the B cells still have their antibody on their surface. And this is where the fate of the B cell can differ. So Once they've encountered the antigen, they can either become memory cells or plasma cells. 
Now, we'll talk about plasma cells first. So plasma cells are B cells that have changed and they are now called plasma cells and they produce large amounts of antibodies, but they release them. So the original B cell will have the the antibody on its surface, but plasma cells release the antibody into the blood so that the antibodies can act as we spoke about earlier. They can perform agglutination or opsonization and things like that. So as I said, when the clonal expansion happens, you've got lots and lots of B cells in the blood that are specific for that antigen. However, the plasma cells are very short-lived and their numbers will drop quickly after a few weeks. However, the antibodies that they have released into the blood will last um, for a longer time. The other type of cell that the B cell can form is called the memory cells and these are cells that are very long-lived and they remain circulating in the blood over a long time and this is what allows us to have immunity against things so once we have seen the antigen for the first time we'll have a slow response and then when we see it again these cells will respond very quickly and we can have a much faster response. In next week's lesson I'm going to go more into exactly what the primary and the secondary immune response is and things like that so we'll talk more about that then. So T cells are the other type of lymphocytes we're going to talk about today and the way that I would recommend you remember B and T lymphocytes is that T lymphocytes although they are produced initially in the bone marrow they actually mature in the thymus so thymus T and T lymphocytes whereas the B cells which begin with a B mature in the bone marrow. So mature T lymphocytes have a specific cell surface receptor called a T cell receptor and this is a bit like an antibody um, in the fact that they're specific to one antigen but their structure is a bit different to an antibody and T cell receptors are always expressed on the cell surface, they're never released into the blood like antibodies are. So once immature T lymphocytes have matured in the bone marrow they then have this specific T cell receptor and and by the end of the maturation there will be lots of different T cells which have different TCRs or T cell receptors for different antigens. As we spoke about earlier with the phagocytes we talked about how macrophages can be antigen presenting cells. Now this is where this ties in with T lymphocytes. So T lymphocytes are activated when they encounter or bind to their specific antigen but they can't just encounter it on its own. It has to be presented to them by one of your body's own cells. So this can either be antigen presenting cells or this can be a one of your own cells that has been infected with a pathogen and then it shows bits of that pathogen to the T cells. So antigen presenting cells display this antigen on its cell surface and then the T cells come up, recognize it with their TCR And then again, they start to divide by mitosis. This is very similar to clonal selection and clonal expansion of B cells. Like the B cells, T cells can divide into two main types of cells. There are lots of different subtypes of these cells, but for now, you just need to know about the two. So we have helper T cells and we have killer T cells. First of all, I'm going to talk about the helper T cells. So helper T cells release cytokines, which can help with the immune response. So these can help stimulate B cells to divide. It can also help plasma cells and also can stimulate things like the macrophages to help them phagocytose things. 
So helper T cells really do help the immune response. They don't kill any pathogens directly, but they do help the other cells in the immune system and they're vital in that role. So without them, the other immune cells wouldn't function as well as they do. The other type of T cell is the killer T cell. And these are the ones that really do the most killing. So the killer T cell uses its T cell receptor to recognize antigens on infected body cells and things like that. And then it can induce killing of those cells directly. So what happens is once that antigen binds to the T cell receptor, it causes toxins to be produced in the T cell that can be released and cause death in the target cell. This is normally done by things like perforins and they can basically make holes in the infected body cell and cause it to die. As you can see, B and T cells are similar in some ways and then they do differ in others and within both cell types you've got subtypes of those cells. So we've got helper T cells and killer T cells which are both types of T lymphocyte and then we also have plasma cells and memory cells from B cells. And then just to go back again, we have phagocytes and we have neutrophils and macrophages. And remember that macrophages can be antigen presenting cells, which can present things to the T cells. So I know that is a lot and a lot of people find immunology very confusing because there are a lot of different parts and they all fit together in a very complex way. But if you just keep going over this lesson, look at the, the learning materials and hopefully it will start making sense. You need a bit of understanding of all the different parts kind of before you can put it all together, but it will come as you go on. And immunology is my favourite subject. It's what I do my research in. So if you have any questions, please do feel free to reach out and ask us. So I'm just going to recap what we've gone over today. So we've gone over antibodies and exactly what their structure is and what their function is and how we can use them in research and for therapeutics using monoclonal antibodies. We've then talked about the different types of immune cells. We've talked about phagocytes and lymphocytes. We've talked about neutrophils and macrophages as phagocytes. And then we've talked about B and T cells as types of lymphocytes. So next week, I'm going to finish off this module and we're going to cover the different types of immunity and how all of this kind of fits together and also how vaccines can be used to induce immunity and how they can be used to help control diseases. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content, and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. Please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye. Bye.